So thanks very much for inviting me here today. Um, if you don't know about NICE, we set guidance for the NHS on all sorts of issues from um, which drugs are clinically and cost effective through to what type of treatments people should get when they're ill, uh, to public health guidance, to guidance on medical devices and um, diagnostic techniques. And we will, from April, well, they will, because I won't be there after tomorrow, but um, we'll be moving in to take on a remit of, for social care from next April, and we'll be renamed the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. So looking at specifically um, uncertainty and risk in healthcare, obviously they're inevitable in healthcare. There's no treatment that's ever completely risk-free, and all drugs have some side effects, and all operations carry potential risks and if you are as a patient going to give informed consent you need to be able to understand the risks and the uncertainties of the treatment that's being proposed for you and I think one of the things about risk and uncertainty and communicating them in healthcare is that it is a very personal and individual situation that you're in with your health professional. Um, the other thing that's, that's true to say is that the evidence of a drug or a treatment's efficacy is rarely, if ever, completely cut and dried. Um, sorry about the wordy slide here, but this is actually nice guidance on how to communicate risk and uncertainty, or risk in particular, um, to patients. So I'd just like to pick up on various things that have been mentioned already this morning. So you should personalise risk and benefit as far as possible. Use absolute risk rather than relative risk. Use natural frequency, which I don't think was mentioned earlier, but it's, you know, rather than talking about percentages, talk about 10 people out of 100 or 10 in 100 or whatever. Um, and use the same denominators when you're comparing risks. Talk about, if it's helpful, talk about um, a defined period of time. So if you're, you know, if... 50 people are treated over one year, then two of them are likely to get a certain side effect or, or however it might be uh, framed. Um, we've already talked about positive and negative framing. Um, and actually, it's helpful that evidence shows that for patients to understand risk, it's helpful to frame it both positively and negatively so they can, they can lock in on the bit that they find most useful for them. Um, you've also discovered, discussed this already this morning. Be aware that different people interpret terms such as rare, unusual, common, very likely, however, whatever it is, in different ways. So always use numerical data where it's available. And talk about different formats and things is something else. Um, so I just think it's, it's interesting to note that everything that's been discussed already this morning is already captured and presented as guidance to health professionals on how to communicate risk. And this is from, if you're interested, it's from NICE Clinical Guideline 138, Patient Experience in NHS Adult Services, if you want to look it up on the website. Um, uncertainty is also very important in healthcare. And this is a database, the UK database of uncertainties about the effects of treatments which is housed on the NHS Evidence website, which is a service provided by NICE. And as it says, why is it important to know about uncertainties in treatments? Um, because patients and the public have the right to, to be told about where there are uncertainties. 
and also so that researchers and research funders can work out where their money might be spent and their effort might be spent in doing further research in order to clear up some of those uncertainties. And every NICE guidance, every NICE guideline always includes a list of research recommendations. So it will go, at the end, it will say, these were the areas that we weren't sure about. There's uncertainty, so we framed our recommendations in the guidance to take account of that. And an example would be alcohol in pregnancy, which David mentioned this morning. The current NICE guidance says, don't drink in the first three months because we know there's a risk of miscarriage. After that, one or two units, one or twice, once or twice a week, seems to be okay, but there's a lot of uncertainty about the data. Don't binge drink, because that's bad for the baby. So it's quite clear, it's quite really quite clear that, you know, not in the first three months, and don't binge drink, but in the middle, you're probably all right if you just don't drink too much. So it'll be interesting to see whether that guidance is updated based on the evidence of the, of the research today. Somehow I doubt it. Anyway. Um, so looking at the issue of uncertainty around new medicines, it might be useful to just talk a bit about the difference between getting a license for a medicine and the difference between NICE recommending it for use on the NHS. So the licensing authorities say what can be sold in the UK on the NHS, and we say what can be bought. Basically, that's how it breaks down. Um, to get a license, a new drug needs to prove that it's reasonably safe and it works better than placebo. So when they say safe and effective, the effective bit means it works better than a placebo. It doesn't have to show any comparative effectiveness against current treatments, any other act active treatments. So that's why NICE was set up, basically. Because if the NHS is, is going to be, you know, all these new drugs are coming out, the NHS has been asked to, to buy them for patients, How, what sort of level of uncertainty is it going to be accepting in deciding where to spend its money? Because if it spends its money on a new drug, given that there's a finite budget, that money has to come from some other area of healthcare that they're currently spending the money on. That's called the opportunity cost. Um, so that's why NICE was set up. And it, you know, fantastically, eminently sensible idea to look at the comparative effectiveness of a new drug, so to test it against the treatments that are already being available and being used for, for patients. So I'm sure that given that it is eminently sensible, saves the NHS money, provides the best, ends up to provide the best treatment for patients, I'm sure you'll agree that it would have been, or should have been, well received by everybody. <laughs> In fact, it wasn't. Um, I love, well, I don't love any of them, obviously. These are quite old headlines, I'd like to say. Um, but the sentence to death by nice bit particularly galls, I find galling, because the only drugs NICE has ever said no to are end-of-life treatments. So they're treatments that, where you know the person is going to die quite soon, and they have a terminal illness, and you 
want to try and give them a few more weeks or months of life. Those are the drugs that NICE has said no to in cancer drugs. Sorry, I should have said that. Um, so the idea that, you know, basically the patient was sentenced to death by the cancer, not by NICE, but that's a little aside. So despite having very transparent procedures and processes, um, and despite having independent committees and despite having stakeholder consultation for every single drug recommendation, um, NICE never used to issue a press release when it announced its preliminary findings on a drug. So I do agree to a certain extent with David's point that you blame the press release. In this case, you can blame the lack of a press release. There was nothing going out from NICE proactively to say, we've looked at this drug, we don't think it's cost effective, we don't think it's clinically effective. Um, and so that's what the coverage ended up being like, because it was all taken as this horrible organisation is denying patients access to drugs on the, on the basis of cost and not cost effectiveness, which, as we know, is very different. So we've made a concerted effort over the last few years to improve our press releases and make our press releases explain what our guidance is saying. Now, this is an example of an ovarian cancer drug where we had actually said yes to the same drug for a different indication but when we came to appraise it for cancer for ovarian cancer they basically hadn't shown they couldn't show any comparative effectiveness data against the current best practice of using platinum based drugs so we made the point in the press release that they hadn't and I'll show you the press coverage. What I'm particularly pleased about is that there wasn't any press coverage of this one in the national press, because I think the journalists read the press release and went, fair enough, no story. And for me, that's success. But um, some more specialist press and more specialist websites did cover it. And you know, they say they didn't, it's not recommended because the manufacturer did not submit sufficient evidence that the medication benefits patients more than the most widely used treatments. And this is from Scrip, who clearly are uncertain about what an ovary looks like. But anyway, some bit of the female reproductive system will do. Um, but again, they use the quote from Andrew Dillon, we cannot be sure that trabectidine extends patient lives for longer. So we made a point of the uncertainty. That the reason why we cannot recommend this is because we just don't know whether it's any good. And one last example. I've, ch I've chosen the cancer examples because they are the most emotive and they're the ones that used to get all the horrible press coverage. Um, this is our friend Avastin, Bevacizumab. Um, one of the biggest selling cancer drugs in the world, and NICE has not recommended it for any indication in the UK. Um, possibly for eye treatment, but that's a whole other story, but anyway. Um, again, we didn't know, there was no evidence to show whether it worked better than the current treatments. So this is breast cancer, something that affects, cancer affects more women than probably anything else. Um, and a big brand behind it, Roche, is a big and, um, yeah, 
active manufacturer when it comes to playing with the media. Um, and by explaining that it was uncertainty that was the reason by why we couldn't recommend it, we ended up with, again, this is, there was national coverage this time, but it was reasonable coverage. I mean, the, 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 stand, the first point is more costly, more costly and less effective than other drugs. So I'm going to leave it there because I know we're trying to catch up on time, but um, any questions? What I'm going to do now is ask uh, Elliot, uh, who's Elliot Varnell, who's a consultant actuary with Milliman, and this is going to give us an insurance perspective of uh, the subject that we're talking about. And 